going to talk about virtual hearings in New York, which if you signed up, you've probably got some emails from Greg Lois telling you that virtual hearings are now a thing in New York. I'm here with Christian Cisson. I'm Tashia Rasul. And I'm Declan Gorley. And we're going to talk about virtual hearings in New York and basically how they affect the defense side, right? So uh, if anybody's been to any Lois webinar, this is a familiar slide. Uh, we'll answer the questions as they come in. After all the slides are done, we'll review them and answer them. Uh, and based on our experiences, we'll see how uh, they can fit your current case population. Okay, so what's new uh, for virtual hearings? I think let's, a, a good starting point is to figure out what, did, what people thought of virtual hearings when uh, the thought of virtual hearings was possible, right? Like what, what, do you, what did you guys feel as far as practitioners, uh, judges, what did they think of this process? So one of the first things I thought about was, is this really going to work? Right. You know, one person sitting in New York, the other probably New Jersey, and the claimant probably somewhere in Pennsylvania at his vacation home. You know, how is it going to work in terms of presenting paper evidence, in terms of assessing credibility when you're doing a cross-examination? Um, it just takes away, I thought that it would take away from the actual courtroom feel, the formal feel of an actual hearing. So that was my first impression of virtual hearings. Yeah, I think I think that's fairly what people thought across the board. It was almost this um, pessimism as to how this can be implemented efficiently. Uh, we did see before virtual hearings were implemented, uh, court reporters appearing virtually from different locations. Yes. You may have had uh, cases where uh, the court reporter didn't even exist. There was the DAR digital audio recording system where the judge would simply click a button and the recording mm -hmm. would happen without any actual minutes being typed by a stenographer. And I think that kind of led the board to this process, but it did get implemented pretty quickly, wouldn't you say? Yeah, and oh, I think the, the funny thing is that as it rolled out, so it started up in uh, Albany area, Menans, Hudson, Poughkeepsie, and now it's down downstate. And as it came down, you heard the rumblings from the attorneys downstate talking about all these horrible things they're hearing about are what are happening upstate. And I was one of the first ones in the office because I handle upstate hearing points to, to be doing these virtual hearings and everything was going pretty swell for me. And I'm hearing <laughs> about all these horror stories that everyone's predicting is gonna happen. So yeah, you always wanna wonder what's behind the horror stories, right? You know, I mean, because ultimately, I guess we can perceive the board to really be problematic for our side, but we'll get into that. So what exactly is a virtual hearing, okay? We can no longer check in at customer service, right? For the, for the hearing points that have this uh, technological capability, you actually have to sign in virtually. Now, attendance at the hearing can still be in person, but even when you do that, they make you sign in virtually. It's almost like they're nudging you towards appearing virtually, right? Yes. And if you don't, if you're actually at the hearing and you don't sign in, they can call the case. They don't know that you're there, even oh, if you're sitting right. in the courtroom. Right. You would typically, you know, in the in-person hearing points, you just depend on your case being called, your name being called. Almost uh, the rapport that we have with the judges to, be, to basically know that, you know, Declan's at the next courtroom. I'll wait till he's done. Mm -hmm. Whereas the judge might not necessarily have that information if you're not virtually checked in. Uh, another important thing was the WebEx conferencing, right? The technological aspect of this, of getting the system up and running, making sure that each person who's checking in virtually has that capability, you know, Wi-Fi, hardwire, uh, hardware and software, everything has to be of a certain minimum level mm -hmm. for you to appear virtually. Right? And I, I think yeah. the board's done a really good job with that. I mean, 
um, the straight the software is pretty much step by step. You click here, do this, click here, call here. It's it's very straightforward for anyone that's done it. And uh, someone like myself that's not very uh, savvy with technology. Same I here. Haven't yes. had any issues so far. <laughs> right. And for those of us that aren't technologically savvy, there's the guide. Right. It's a very short uh, packet. I'd say probably about 15 pages long, and they actually tailor it to whether you're a claimant, uh, claimant's attorney. Uh, a defense attorney or a witness. Mm -hmm. To be honest, it's pretty much the same guide for each party, just for maybe one or two pages determining uh, what you're checking in as, right? So that's available on the board website. If you can't access it for some reason, you can always contact us and we'll give you a copy. I think it's important to point out that the board hasn't actually formalized any regulations, no law changes, nothing in the statute to do with virtual hearing. So this guide is really our practice guide so far. That's a good point. It's not actually codified. There's nothing in statute saying that you have to do it. Uh, and there's nothing really saying that the board has to continue doing it. It's almost like, a, you know, let's dip our toes in the water and see how it uh, feels. And then if it works out, it works out. But I think we can say right now that from the first five or six months that it's been implemented, it's, it's starting to work out. Here we have a list of the, uh, hearing points that have virtual capability and there are 25 total locations and 16 of them are currently virtual. Mm -hmm. That's all, over 50% in a matter of you know, half a year. Uh, that would put the board on pace to get everything done by the end of the year. And that's a pretty ambitious timeline, one that even the most optimistic person could not have predicted, right? And some of the uh, bigger hearing points are already, already have or do, so it's not like they just did this in remote locations. Some of the bigger uh, hearing points uh, now have, have rolled out. So Right. So she, like you have Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was actually surprised that that was one of the guinea pigs to start out with. Yes. And surprisingly, it went well. So like Declan mentioned earlier, we were hearing the grumblings upstate. Sure. Now, when I started doing the virtual hearings in Brooklyn, I thought to myself, man, this is going to be a mess because of the higher volume of cases, a lot of the cases being listed at the same times in multiple courtrooms. Um, but it turned out pretty well, the way the, the system signed up for the check-in, for um, indicating when you're in another hearing, for making yourself available, not available. Um, so I think for such a high volume hearing point, the, the board has done fairly well in um, implementing the virtual hearings there. And we'll get to it in a minute on one of the future slides, but there's also already prediction or already scheduled allotments for when the next rollouts will be. Right, yes. right. So uh, that's a list of all the ones that have the capability. Some of them only have capability for specific time slots. Like some of them are for the morning hearings only or the afternoon hearings only. Uh, but you can certainly determine whether or not your specific hearing has virtual capability because on the notice, it will tell you whether there is virtual capability for that particular courtroom. What we do know now, what's not virtual, Newburgh and New City are some of the upstate ones that don't have that capability. I think they might actually be next seeing as all the upstate ones are currently in that process, right? Well, New City is certainly going to be next because they've already, uh, the judges that appear there are typically the judges in White Plains. So my understanding is that within the next month, judges will be sitting in White Plains and appearing virtually. Uh, claimants and their and attorneys can go to the New City hearing point. Uh, Newburgh, which is a, also known as a New Windsor hearing point, um, my understanding is that there's no plans to roll it out anytime soon because there's issues with the landlord. But again, this is all rumors. So... Um, New City sounds like it's in the horizon. Newburgh, maybe not so fast. Oh, landlord having the board by hostage. <laughs> I want to hear about that a lot more than what we're going to talk about here today. 
but we'll get we'll go forward. Uh, June thirteenth, uh, we got two more hearing points: Buffalo and Jamestown. That'll bring it to eighteen out of twenty-five. And doing quick math, that's seventy-two percent of the locations with virtual capability. Quick math. <laughs> quick math. I didn't practice that at all. Uh, as that's that's about two weeks from now. And we can see now that there's really no slowing down of this process. I think we can see that technology has been working. Tashia, you pointed out that in Brooklyn, a lot of people were grumbling about it uh, when it first started. But just like anything new, you know, we're, if we're not used to it, we're probably not going to be ready for it. But Correct. once we've gotten used to it, mm -hmm. that's across the board, not just us. Right. It's going to be easier to implement a more efficient system, an efficient model to, to move these hearings along. And I think it's really easy to get used to it. I mean, we've been doing it since January. It's about right. five months now. After a few hearings, you get into the swing of things. You understand how it works. Um, you know how to deal with any glitches that there may be. So I think comfort, being comfortable with the system makes it work for us. And so here are the hearing points that we really don't know yet. Uh, and a lot of this is kind of based on conjecture, right? These are your larger volume hearing points. And I think the reason could be is that you've actually seen the most chirping and, and you know, objections to this coming here because you have a, a lot of people being involved. Mm -hmm. Some, like these are the hearing points, uh, Harlem and Jamaica especially, where you have claimants out of state that actually for some reason travel to New York and want to be at the hearings. There's a lot of pushback at these hearings. I So it kind of makes sense that they're they're waiting to figure out whether this can be done. Um, Manhattan, Queens, Long Island, biggest case populations. We'll wait to see what news the board has. The but, good news for us is that since it's close to our office, we appear there already anyway. So That's true. These, these hearing points are not an issue for us. Uh, we can travel with them fairly easily, and we have been doing so uh, for several years. So what does a virtual hearing mean for you? Okay, I think the obvious first benefit are reduced costs, right? There's yes. no cost associated with travel time. Uh, there's no issues with traffic jams, accidents, uh, you know, anything like that that would prevent an attorney from missing a hearing as far as getting, them, getting there in person. I think that's a, a certainly talks to uh, the cost aspect, right? right? New York's a huge state, so any any hearing point you go to, there's at least 45 minutes in between hearing points, so just that alone is a huge savings for employers. The second one that we have here is actually an interesting thing that's found in the hearing guide. Every document that you want to rely on should be filed five days before the hearing date, and typically we see a lot of cases, think about the ones where we request a suspension of benefits because there's no up-to-date medical, or we're requesting a suspension because there's no attachment mm -hmm. uh, documents. What does the claimant attorney do on the day of the hearing? Show up with the medical, show up with the job search exactly. proofs that they exactly. drafted the night before. And most judges are just going to say, here you go, cross-examine. And luckily, you know, we're good enough to get through on that process and still preserve our client's rights. But it, this this guide actually gives us an opportunity here. I mean, I've had a couple of hearings virtually where I was able to argue that because attachment records weren't in the file and I was appearing virtually, how can I cross-examine the claimant? Mm -hmm. And the judges actually adhered to that guide. I mean, it could possibly be because they don't want to do a trial. Right. <laughs> but uh, it's not that big of a deal for us to make that argument and see what happens. I think it's it's worth worth it to do yeah. that. I've also had the same thing with medical evidence. So uh, stale medical, we requested a hearing right. to suspend benefits, 
claimant shows up with their total disability report and the judge wouldn't consider it because it wasn't in the board, uh, wasn't in the board file five days before the hearing. So. I've also had a case adjourned twice <laughs> because the claimant did not have up-to-date medical submitted to the board file. So the first time she had it in court and I argued that benefits should not be um, should not be continued because it wasn't provided ahead of time. The judge said, okay, submit it to the board file. She supposedly did. The next hearing about a month later still wasn't in the board file and no one knew where the medical was. She still had no medical. So the judge said, we can continue the benefits again. So I think it definitely works to our advantage. Um, it also forces the claimant to um, actually look for jobs, you know, when it, the issue is like labor market attachment as opposed to writing it up the night before in like a note, you know, note paper. Um, and it also forces them to provide what I would say legitimate the medical records as opposed to calling the doctors the day before. And I feel like those we can better cross-examine and um, examine to, uh, you know, Put, put together the better better defenses ahead of time as opposed to at the hearing. I think in that <clears throat> regard too, it benefits us because hearings are, are really called at their time, at their scheduled time mm -hmm. or close to it, as opposed to, okay, this match is here, we'll take this case now, which may give time to produce that medical that you're talking yes. about, right? Like we've all had those cases where we know that they don't have medical on that at the hearing date. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, a fax comes in, and now we have to set the case for trial because of this sheet of paper that has the, the number 100 on it. Right. You know, So those kinds of arguments really, really help us when it comes to virtual hearings. Uh, the last bullet point we have there is employer carrier participation, which may or may not, may not be interesting uh, to you all here today. Uh, depends on if you want to get involved and see how your attorneys go to work and how the sausage is made. Mm -hmm. I think that it's very interesting and I'm wondering if a lot of the pushback from attorneys is because, oh no, like my client can actually see, see what I'm doing what I'm or not doing. doing. Like, they can <laughs> connect my post-hearing report to the arguments I'm making, right? right. I mean, I've, I've even heard that from other attorneys uh, where they expect claimants to be calling in by phone and now the claimant, all, all the claimant has to do is put in a little virtual hearing ID and see what the attorney is arguing off the record, mm -hmm. right? It's certainly interesting from your perspective to see how well we do for you. And as always, we are very, very open to that. We want to make sure that we are on the same page and you are getting the exact custom lowest tailored defense for each and every one of your files. So let's talk about our experiences specifically. Can you guys think of maybe any disadvantage to the employer carrier self-insured for virtual hearings? I can't think of a clear disadvantage. I know some clients want us to be able to see someone in person, but even now without virtual hearings, claimants, especially upstate, appear regularly by phone. They're not required to be at the hearing point, um, especially in the more remote locations. <laughs> or if a claimant lives out of state, for instance, I have several claimants that live in Florida. They're never gonna attend a New York hearing. I don't get to see that person, whether I'm in, I'm in if I'm at the hearing point or not, I'm never gonna see that person. So. That disadvantage, I think, that some some are skeptical about is already an issue. Um, just today, I had a trial, two employer witnesses, a claimant. Um, I was virtual. The two employer witnesses sat in their, in their office at work, and that went without a hitch. So uh, I think that this is going to be a great thing for employers and carriers. So I think initially, um, one of the concerns was that we wouldn't be able to settle cases as much because you're not seeing the adversaries face-to-face -to, -face to discuss it, or you're not getting signed releases back or you know any document that you need from the claimant. 
However, I think the virtual hearings forces the claimant's attorneys to communicate with us ahead of the hearing. So you know those times when we call the offices and they never call us back? I think I've actually been getting more calls back in anticipation of the hearing regarding um, documents that we need from the claimant or even settlements so we can address these things ahead of time. And if they don't provide what we need, well, more of a chance for us to uh, argue for preclusion of something or um, that the claimant is failing to cooperate with uh, the carrier's investigation and so forth. So I think it really does help us to build our case and strengthen our defenses ahead of time. And I, I still think it works for the settlements because it forces them to you know, listen to us ahead of time as opposed to just waiting for the hearing. And a lot of times at the hearing too, they would say, oh, we have to call the claimant into the office to talk about settlement, right? right? right. So. Sometimes that doesn't even work out when you're trying to settle it at the hearing point. Sure, I think I, I think that's a good point, right? I mean, because a lot of the value that we provide uh, to our clients is in between hearings, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like, go with this IME doctor, right? Or these are the body parts that should be examined, right? Or this is the medical that we need to focus on and cross-examine this particular doctor. And all that value that may reduce or uh, reduce exposure, suspend benefits, uh, you know, even MSAs, like all that stuff that we do but between hearings, it's almost amplified, right? Because the virtual hearing almost condenses what's done at the actual hearing point as opposed to an in-person hearing, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, we all still do the in-person hearings where there's actually a lot more time to discuss the case. And for uh, claimant attorneys who really depend on that, you're right, it does fo focus, uh, force them really to focus on what we're doing in between mm -hmm. hearings. Okay, those are our experiences. We've all thought that it's been great, uh, even though we were skeptical about the board's ability to really mm -hmm. push this along. But, uh, you know, hard be it for me to compliment the board, uh, something that helps uh, employers and carriers on the defense side of things, but this has been really great so far. Uh, it's about five or six months in, and we expect it to get even better once judges get used to the technology, uh, once claimants, attorneys, and even witnesses, like you mentioned, Declan, are able to appear virtually, uh, we think this is a great thing. Uh, every time that you get a new hearing notice, you're going to see virtual hearing ID, and that's when you really should think of us, because we're the ones who can appear downstate to provide you that level of service that you expect for the cases you already have. All right. Any questions? So you do have questions. First question comes from Seth. Uh, who says, have you seen plaintiffs making excuses of no connection, no device that they can use to access the virtual hearing, or saying a device they had, phone, computer, isn't working as an excuse to not participate? And if so, how has that been addressed? In case people can't hear me, you might want to repeat. Okay, so the question was, if we've seen claimants at hearings using technology as an excuse for their non-appearance or not, co not cooperating. I personally have not seen that as an excuse. Um, most of the hearing points I attend upstate, claimants are already told that if they need to appear by phone, uh, they're entitled to appear by phone. So claimants pretty regularly appear by phone in most of the upstate hearing points, which I'm referring to Newburgh, New Windsor, uh, Poughkeepsie, Albany. Um, and with virtual hearings, the claimant can not only still appear in person, but they can also appear uh, by phone. So the carrier has to appear with a video and a webcam and you get to see our faces, but claimants themselves can just call in. I, I think also, uh, to that point, it, it's not like they're prevented from also being at the hearing in person too, right? So almost having that excuse like I, you know, the technology wasn't working or my Wi-Fi capability was pretty weak, I, 
you know, that's that's not really something that has been advanced uh, in my experience as well. But if that were to, I mean, the easy argument is that you didn't, you're not required to appear virtually, right? I would even think that most claim attorney, claimants attorneys who have claimants that can appear in person want them to, because sometimes it's like the first person they're meeting, first time they're meeting right. each other. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I would think that uh, most claimants would not make that excuse. Maybe if this was required virtual attendance, we, we could see that. But right now when it's merely uh, optional, most claimants are appearing in person still. So they aren't really making that excuse. I haven't had the experience of a claimant not appearing in person so far, but I do know that the judge cannot call the case until 50 minutes after the hearing time if the claimant's not signed in. And if the claimant's not signed in, even if he's supposedly sitting behind a computer and having issues, the claim will be marked failure to prosecute and the hearing will not go forward. At least in Brooklyn, that's what they've been doing. That's interesting. I think that's <clears throat> that, that could be good or bad depending on if you have an award running or... You know, well, then we can request no oh, CCP, of right? If they're still, if they're still <laughs> I love letting doing you that. appear, we're certainly going to make yeah. that. Argument. Okay, producer, sir, do you have another question for yes. us? So Connie asked the question, are the virtual hearings video hearings only, or are they only audio? So they're either or. And the question uh, from Connie was whether virtual hearings are video or audio also. Uh, there's two different steps that you go through when you enter a virtual hearing. One is to get um, your check-in, and then one is to choose video and or audio. There are a couple different buttons because you can pick video to let you know your uh, appearance be shown, and then you're either calling into the hearing to get the audio, or the board is actually going to call you depending on what option you choose. Right. right. I haven't had the issue yet, but I know that I before these began, the board was rolling out informational webinars. And one of the things made known was that it was not optional for claimants, attorneys, or carrier attorneys to appear by telephone or audio only. That if we were appearing virtually, it was mandated that we appear with a video connection. Uh, it was not required for claimants. So claimants can call in and not have a video um, of themselves. They can call in by phone or uh, use a laptop or a smartphone device that doesn't have a webcam attached to it. That's a good point because I think uh, with June, uh, the, the new hearing points coming in, they usually roll out those webinars uh, for people who have that case mm -hmm. population. So it, it's not necessarily directed or specific to those hearing points, but if you are really considering um, having your attorneys appear virtually for you, uh, the informational webinars by the board are pretty effective. They do allow uh, a, you know, a stream of Q&A like we're doing here that you can ask a board representative uh, to help you. Of course, they may not be as good looking as we are, but that's okay. <laughs> All right, uh, next question comes from John. He says, uh, what's the process now that there's no court reporters when it comes to medical witness testimony? What's your overall experience or opinion on how to handle testimony without the minutes? And that comes from John. Okay, so the question from John is, how do you handle uh, the minutes or how do you deal with taking testimony when there's no court reporter? It's a really good question. Uh, we've actually seen this kind of uh, issue prop up before virtual hearings became capable, right? Because DAR, the digital audio recording system used by the board uh, for cases where there is no stenographer, has been used. And I, and I am always very, very... Uh, cognizant of the court reporter being in the room because usually they're the one controlling everything. Mm -hmm. 
you know, if I want to make sure that a specific question or an objection is noted, I'm always looking at the stenographer to, to make, make sure, sure the fingers. Typing, right? <laughs> if they're not typing, I am not moving on, right? We're staying where we need to make sure those minutes are legitimate. Right. Um, Declan, I know you've had some experience with appealing a decision from either a virtual hearing or a DAR situation, right? Uh, any appeals that I've done, so I know we, our office has requested the audio transcript and we then have the opportunity to get them transcribed by an outside company. Um, so I, I, I specifically have not had to actually file an appeal that I've had someone transcribe. I know that someone in our office has done that, so that has not been an issue. I think the number one fear, and it's in, interesting that this has been brought up, and there, this is one of the horror stories that we hear about, um, that apparently there's been issues mm -hmm. where in the middle of the, uh, either the hearing's taken place already and the judge never pushed the record button, or so the trial is already taking place, and then they realize afterwards, oh no, the recording never happened. Do, how do we proceed? Do we, if there's no record of what happened, does the claimant get to come back in again, or the employer witness come back in again and, and have right. them retry the case? Take away this prize factor. I think one thing to make clear about it: if you are attending virtually uh, to participate, or if you uh, your attorney is relatively new to virtual hearing, there is a little monitor um, on the top of the screen that tells you when the recording is taking place. Right? It's a, yeah, it says so, recording. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for example, the judge, if they want to take the case off the record, you know, for whatever reason, that little button should be changed so that you know the recording is off. Yes. It's also helpful, you know, to make sure you know when you're on the right. record as well. But that's certainly a, an issue there. We want to make sure that, like the court reporter being there, the monitor is ready to record testimony being taken. So I think one of the positives though is um, for the audio recording, we get them back within sometimes within minutes because I've had a couple of cases where we requested them from the board and five minutes later, the audio files in our email as opposed to when we had to request it from the court reporter, you have to track them down. Um, you know, they would say that they're too busy, you have to pay a rush fee, what's not. So that's the good thing that's, about it. That's a great point, because right? you know, the court reporter that you want to get minutes from is also doing hearings probably that day. Yeah. Right? You know, they have a full slate of hearings. So you're not you're not dealing with you're you're dealing with someone who is legitimately busy, whether we think so or not. They have other hearings to handle. I think getting the records, if they can transcribe it using a good AI system, it might actually help. Mm -hmm. Okay, last question uh, comes from Connie who says, how are the claimants identified to ensure it is actually them if they're calling in by phone? Again, this goes back to what I was saying before about claimants appearing uh, via telephone all the time. Well, so, let's repeat the question, right? So Connie, okay. Connie asked, how do we identify the claimants to make sure that they're the, the person who was supposed to be there? So the main ways I've seen a judge identifying a person is, first of all, asking them their date of birth, asking them to last for their social security number. Um, I've had some judges ask them who they last, who the employer of record on the case is. Um, some, uh, there's usually two or three questions that they'll ask the claimant to confirm uh, that they're the per correct person. Again, this was an right. issue before virtual hearings where someone was appearing from either out of state or just appearing by telephone. Right. right. There's some judges that do that even for the in-person hearings, right? Just to verify, you know, is this you? Uh, and I don't, I don't see that being a problem. I mean, I guess theoretically new people could come in and memorize social security numbers or uh, date of births, dates of birth, but it's it's not something that we are, are really that worried about uh, in light of the voluminous benefits that we can provide to our clients for appearing virtually. All right, and sorry, I said there was one last question, but let's answer this one, it's a good one. Uh, does the How does the board designate on the notice if the hearing can be handled virtually? 
and our hearings to address issues like 114A or other serious issues, can those be held virtually? Okay, so the question is, how does the board designate whether a hearing will have virtual capability, and then are there issues such as 114A that can be dealt with virtually? Uh, so how does a hearing have virtual capability? The notice will come out. You'll, you'll get a notice just like uh, any other hearing, but there will be a notation of a virtual hearing ID number. Uh, there's actually a couple spots where they'll put it to make sure you don't miss it. That will be the ID number that you'll use to log into the system on the day of the hearing. Uh, so it that says, will tell you. Yeah, it says virtual hearing available right. in bold, and then the virtual hearing ID is right under that. Um, and it's usually in the bottom of the hearing the, the hearing notice, and if there's multiple pages, sometimes it's on the top of the second page. So it's, it's really easy to um, identify whether it's virtual hearings. But to be clear, every hearing point now that has been designated as a virtual hearing point, uh, they're all hearings that are in that hearing point should be available for virtual access. Mm -hmm. And as far as um, if there's certain issues or hearings that you cannot do virtually, not that I'm aware of that there's been any issues with 114A. I, today, just today, the, the litigated trial I discussed, it was a denied claim. It doesn't get any more serious than that. We had two employer witnesses and a claimant testify, and that was all done virtually. So uh, the board is not piecemealing out which issues yeah. are more significant than others to not be done at these types of hearings. Right. I think that, you know, nothing is, you know, out of bounds for a virtual hearing. Uh, and I think that's the right way to do it. Uh, kind of hamstringing it or, or, you know, pigeonholing different cases into virtual capability or not really just puts people uh, kind of at the whim of, of what the issues are in the case. Because you might have a case that will have fairly straightforward issues and then, oh, here comes a 114A issue, or here comes an additional site that needs to go to trial. Uh, so all those cases have virtual capability if they're in the hearing point that uh, has that technological capability. And even for coverage issues where there are seven or eight carriers, the board has set up the system so well that even if everyone's appearing virtually, it works because as each attorney or each uh, person speaks, that screen pops up on your monitor so you see who exactly is talking so there's no confusion. Right, they even have a designation for the lead carrier or the named carrier. You know, if it's a coverage dispute and you have the seven or eight carriers that are on, there's usually one that's the named or indexed carrier mm -hmm. and that carrier has to sign in as that particular uh, named carrier. The yes. other ancillary carriers will have to appear as different designated mm -hmm. carriers so that the judge knows, okay, I'm dealing with this one and then the other ones are here. Uh, it's a lot easier than simply saying, okay, I have eight and I don't know who's in right. it. <laughs> so uh, it is helpful that the, the board has that uh, notation. Mm -hmm. That's all the questions. Okay. All right, that, that, was, uh, that was that was a lot of questions and, and we're happy to answer more. You can email any of us after the webinar, uh, tell us how we did, tell me if I'm pulling off these suspenders. <laughs> Uh, if not, we thank you for coming today, and we hope that we can provide the lowest tailored defense that you really need for those upstate claims. Thank you. Take care.